adversaries are relentless, and they're only getting smarter, faster, and more sophisticated. Knowing their game is the only way to beat them. That's why we're here. Learn what it takes to protect against even the most sophisticated attacks. Welcome to the Adversary Universe podcast. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. How's it been? Been great. We yeah. are in 2024 and we have so much more to talk about, right? Always. The, the, the cyber train keeps going. It keeps going. It is this kind of, you know, never ending kinetic energy of cyber activity across every nation that you could possibly think of, every vertical. And uh, today we're going to talk about, we're actually, we're going to bring our listeners into some very newsworthy and relevant content that I think we can probably spend several episodes talking about. And so um, welcome, everyone, to another year and another episode of the Adversary Universe podcast. I have Mr. Adam Myers joining me, the head of our counter adversary operations team. How are you, sir? Hello. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Um, you sound good? You know, I feel great. I'm ready. You had, a, you had a cold a couple of weeks ago. So I did have it's... a cold, you know, all the travel and uh, all the conferences and uh, you just pick up things, right? You know, while we were hoping you would recover, I did uh, replicate you with a uh, a voice AI. So if if anything happens, I've got uh, Christian Rodriguez in a box now. Can we, can we sell that? And um, is there a royalty contract that we can work on? I mean, maybe. I don't know who would buy it, though. I don't know. I think I have a pretty big fan base at this point. I'm not trying yeah. to brag, but uh, I got it would a big be useful for social engineering. It would be. It would be. All right. So let's scratch that one for now. We figure out. <laughs> we'll put that <laughs> more to come on more to the come. adversary universe. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, hey, listen, today we uh, have some really great content. I think you are a big, you have, you're a big speaker on this topic. We might as yeah. well call this series the Borscht and Bites series of. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I know. I went there. Well, yes, yeah, so we're going to talk about Russia, right? We're going to cover a group that is tracked as uh, Voodoo Bear, also known as Sandworm, and because their recent of the Dune references in some of their earlier source code. Yeah, I do remember that. Uh, they actually are, uh, we believe, they're responsible for the most recent uh, telecom provider attack um, in Ukraine, right? It's a Kivstar. Yeah, yeah Kivstar. It's a Kivstar. Am I saying that right? I think so. Yeah. So this was back in December of 2023, and Sandworm was uh, identified as a, um, a Russian military uh, intelligence unit. And um, they basically wreaked havoc on those systems and uh, wiped thousands of machines, including virtual servers. And um, they basically tore that, that network down. And they were down for a considerable amount of time, right? They, they disrupted you know, data services for, what is it, roughly 20, 25 million mobile and home internet subscribers out there. In Ukraine? Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll get into it, but uh, one of the claims was that 14,000 systems uh, and cloud assets and backup systems were uh, disrupted as a result of the attacks. So oh, wow. it is, uh, you know, and uh, Keystar was certainly a target for, for a long time by Russian threat actors. So this was, um, you know, the type, of, the type of target that you would expect to see in what we've been seeing over the many years of the conflict in Ukraine. And I, I say that going back to really 2014 when, when Russia invaded Crimea after the Euromaidan protests. And what 
you know, we've seen there is that it's effectively been, I call it the laboratory of offensive cyber operations Mm. because they have tested so many techniques, especially Voodoo Bear in in Ukraine over the the, the many years that they've been operating there. And this uh, attack that took place on 12 December was certainly consistent with what we've been seeing in, you know, the last two years of conflict uh, in Ukraine and uh, consistent with what we would expect to see from the GRU, the Russian main intelligence uh, directorate. Got it. Actually, let's let's talk about that. Let's. Do you mind spread or at least elaborating a little more on like when we started first tracking Voodoo Bear, um, the units that they're tied to uh, on the Russian intelligence side, and then kind of very quick synopsis of their evolution into this into this uh, this this force that they are in. Yeah, let's um, let's maybe start by kind of taking a look at the intelligence uh, structure within Russia. So there's mm-hmm. really kind of three organizations that are predominantly known uh, as being engaged in offensive cyber operations of some sort in Russia. The first is the FSB. The FSB is the it, it kind of emerged from the KGB. Um, back in the day and the FSB is kind of law enforcement kind of intelligence I, I would liken it to almost an MI5 um, they have the law enforcement mission they have counterintelligence mission and they have a intel mission and all of this is uh, domestic within Russia but also it uh, extends to the uh, the near abroad the commonwealth of independent states as they're sometimes referred to and so that is the first organization to be familiar with the FSB. The second is the SVR. This is their foreign intelligence service, and this is something that we associate with Cozy Bear. And uh, they frequently will target diplomatic missions overseas. They will frequently target um, organizations that will allow them to collect intelligence for diplomatic and political purposes. And then the third is the GRU, the main intelligence directorate, which is part of the military and they are responsible for intelligence collection, but they also engage in disruptive and destructive operations. It sounds like, um, you know, I know we've, I've read a lot of reports on Voodoo Bear. Um, a lot of the, their, their warfare tactics, if you will, are tied to like psychological operations and, you know, they, they, they've, they've been part of campaigns that are focused on not only government but the energy and transportation and media organizations and so um let's dive a little bit into then you know voodoo bears you know tech their, their tactics and their tradecraft sure so we first kind of see them in december of 2010 mm-hmm. a long time ago in a galaxy far far away and over the years they've kind of emerged as um the predominant uh, actor when it comes to disruptive, destructive attacks, though there's other threat actors that we've been seeing in uh, associated with the Russian military and military intelligence. And so um, this group is is really well known for um, a number of intrusions that they have conducted in Ukraine, mm-hmm. uh, particularly beginning in 2015. They were engaged in an incident which disrupted the power in Ukraine in December of 2015. And they came back and did it again in December of 2016. Mm-hmm. We associate them with the uh, kind of well-known, some of the, the well-known 
incidents uh, like NotPetya. Oh, we well. also associate them with the disruption attempt at the Olympics in Pyeongchang in 2018. And um, they've been engaged in, in a number of uh, incidents since the start of the, or the escalation, I should say, of the conflict in Ukraine in February of 2022. Some of the uh, things that are most you know, associated with them are, uh, as I said, Napetia, Olympic destroyer, bad rabbit in destroyer. Um, they have targeted industrial control systems and, and power and things of that nature. And, um, you know, it's uh, just to kind of make sure that we're specific about who we're talking about here. This is a unit known as 74455, also known as the Main Center for Special Technologies, uh, which is associated, uh, is the, the actual name of the unit. Okay. Within, within the GRU, you're saying? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so a pretty aggressive group, um, they seem again, like they, they, their focus is just disrupting, you know, being very destructive. We saw that with NotPetya. Um, but now we're, now they're focusing on, you know, you know, this, this extreme, you know, massive campaign that's affected millions of users and, in in, in Ukraine and this telecom attack, like share a little feedback on like, what do you think some of these motivations are and like how this strategy is tied to this overarching, you know, conflict that's happening. Um, yeah, there, there, there's a couple of interesting threads to pull there. So if you go back to 2015, 2016, when they were taking out the power mm-hmm. um, and a number of other attacks that occurred in that time frame and even, you know, in the subsequent years, a lot of that was meant to erode the public trust in the Ukrainian government. Oh, a lot of it was meant yeah. to create a sense of panic, particularly as the war uh, really started to kick off in February of 2022. They were trying to do this, um, as we've seen, as the conflict has kind of escalated, are disruptive operations, which are paired with kinetic attacks. Um, You know, it's interesting to note that on 12 December, when the attack at Kyivstar occurred and there was a disruption, that there was other things that were allegedly kind of targeted. There were some banks that were impacted. There was some uh, payment terminals in different um, uh, mass transit, uh, public transportation. And allegedly, there were some air raid sirens that were also potentially disrupted in a number of regions. And on December 13th, in the early morning, there were some uh, kinetic attacks. There were some some missiles that uh, targeted Kiev and, and other places. So you know, one might start to wonder, was there a connection between the disruption of the the mobile network, which has been targeted before because it has supported uh, Ukrainian military uh, communications, uh, at least according to, to the attackers uh, and why they targeted them. Um, but that was, you know, maybe potentially tied to a, a kinetic attack and they wanted to maximize the impact of that kinetic attack by preventing uh air raid sirens from, from going off. Oh, wow. So there, you know, we've seen, and and that's speculation. Um, I don't, you know, we haven't seen anything that, that really makes a a strong case for that, but you know, you can't rule out the fact that there was a disruptive attack against uh, a massive amount of telecom infrastructure. And hours later, there was also a series of missiles that came in. And the other thing that's kind of worth noting is kind of what happened after the attack. So, Right after the attack, a group called Killnet took credit, but they didn't provide 
any sort of verification or anything that would demonstrate that they were involved in the the disruption at Kyivstar. The next day, um, Sultanspec, if I can pronounce that correctly. Sultanspec, yeah. Yeah. Um, This is a a fictivist front that we associate with Voodoo Bear. They took that name because uh, the translation of that is hot sunlight. And uh, it's also relevant because the uh, Sultanspec is the the name that is uh, derived from the uh, Russian-made TOS-1A, which is a uh, multiple rocket system uh, associated with those, I think they call it a heavy flamethrower system, but it, it, it serves those uh, hyperbaric rockets. Okay. And so um, it's not a, uh, not a coincidence probably that they, that they picked that name for this fictivist group, which is uh, thermobaric, I should say, uh, this fictivist group that has been involved in making the claim. And as I said, Kilmet initially made the claim, but Sultan Aspek has, they actually provided some evidence that, that they, they had demanded. been engaged and it was consistent with the messaging that came out of Kyivstar. Okay, so let's let's just like, summarize that real quick for the listeners who, if you're keeping track of it or if you lost track of it. So Kilmet comes out after the attack claiming responsibil- responsibility for this. Mm-hmm. And then Sultan Aspek, right? is this pro-Russian hacktivist persona that is pretending to also, um, or under the guise of this persona, they're saying that they're responsible for it and they're providing evidence that, you know, here's, here's proof that we are the guys that are, that, that are operating this attack. Is that correct? Yeah. All right, so they claim that they're responsible for this. And so, but we have evidence that Sultan Aspek is, in essence, voodoo bear or an extension of voodoo bear. Yeah, so um, Sultan Spec claimed that they destroyed 14,000 systems as well as cloud assets, backup systems in response to Kyivstar providing services to the Ukrainian armed forces. And they provided kind of proof that they were uh, behind this by putting screenshots on some of their uh, various uh, channels that demonstrated a Ukrainian language browser that was showing a system center operation manager associated with Kyivstar, and uh, they they showed some screen caps of Active Directory users and computers, um, and and things like that. So they they did provide a little bit more that supported that claim than uh, Killnet had done, and they also alleged that they had deployed wipers, which is consistent with what we've seen from that group, and also consistent with what. Uh, seems to have been reported by Keepstar themselves. Oh, wow. wow. And this is, uh, this is kind of an interesting topic to kind of go on a little bit of a tangent on, which is fictivist. Uh, if you go back a couple of years, a lot of people became familiar with hacktivism in 2010 when we had the Occupy Wall Street, or maybe it was 2009, Occupy Wall Street and Anonymous and LulzSec and all of those things kind of started to pop up. Uh, but Hacktivism has been going on for a long time. Website defacements were were very common uh, with political messaging going back, you know, as far as websites really exist. And um, what we started to see Voodoo Bear do in 2015 was create these fictivist kind of uh, personas, or, or maybe it was 2016 uh, more accurately, when they started trying to claim that F Society was behind the power disruption oh, that's right. of the Ukrainian power plants in December of 2016. And F Society, for 
our listeners that uh, are familiar with the show, Mr. Robot, exactly. was was the name of this. Uh, and, and I think they even took the same imagery. So it was it was kind of a very early uh, demonstration of, of fictivism by Voodoo Bear. Um, previously, we, we notably saw North Korea use uh, similar tactics in 2014 when they claimed uh, to be the guardians of peace and took credit for the attack against uh, Sony. Uh, when there was a disruptive attack back then. So yeah. th- this is deniability. And yeah. deniability allows uh, a power like Russia or North Korea or whomever to do something. And, you know, everybody kind of knows it's them, but then they could kind of also have that deniable claim that lets them, you know, make it appear as if a, a, a grassroots type of movement was responsible for it because they're against what, you know, some something that's happening. Sure. sure. And so... It's our position that Sultan Speck is a R- Russian military fictivist group, a front group that is uh, taking credit for some of these attacks. But um, you know, it's it's pretty clear that uh, th- that this is not a organic grassroots type group. Got it. Okay. And by the way, just for uh, I believe if um if, uh, there's a report actually on uh, Keevstar's uh, CEO. Uh, Alexander Kamarov basically confirming that all systems were restored nationwide as of, I think, December 20th, right? So I know that they, they have recovered from the attack, but it doesn't necessarily, necessarily mean that they uh, they wouldn't be necessarily a target again, right? Or um, Yeah, I mean, the well, well it, it, we'd have to speculate in terms of how many systems remain online and mm-hmm. what their backups look like, right, as, mm-hmm. as, as far as... Uh, Sultan Speck claims they destroyed backups, but you know the Ukrainians have been well uh, acquainted with disruptive, destructive attacks at the hands of Russia going back to 2014. Sure. So yeah. you know, I think that they they probably had some. I assume they have something in place to to be able to recover. Um, and it's also worth noting that we started seeing Keevstar related targeting by GRU Nexus actors going back to June of 2022. Oh wow! So this was likely a high priority target for the GRU. Oh, well. Um, and I'm seeing, you know, we, we've been tracking a lot of activity out of Russia for some time. It's a really good point that you bring up that we, we have been tracking them, this specific attack against Keevstar. It's interesting because it's happened uh, in the past. Um, can can you talk a little broader about, you know, kind of very high level, like, can you talk a little bit about some of their motivations uh, especially as uh, you know, in geopolitical you know changes are happening across you know different countries, especially here in the West. You know, like what what does that look like in terms of Russia's targets, their motivations, how they're evolving a bit, and then what we can anticipate with with upcoming attacks, right? Especially what we just saw with uh, with Kipstar. I mean, for Very those that are interested, I would say mm-hmm. read like the there's there's lots of books on Russian intelligence going back to the the Czechist. Uh, days under pre-revolution uh, and, and things like that. But I think it's important to note that that really informed a lot of the Russian, the, the prior uh, intelligence co- community there was the KGB, right? So it, it informed all the way back from from the origins and going back to the, the Tsarist days, how they thought about intelligence. And the Russians have long understood the power of information warfare they've long understood how technology can be an important component of that if you if you go back to things like uh the cuckoo's egg uh through um 
uh, Cliff Stoll, who spoke at Falcon a number of years ago. And he talked about his investigation of an intrusion that occurred in the 1980s uh, at uh, various uh, labs across the globe, but certainly here in the U.S., it targeted uh, the defense uh, industrial base and things like that. And um, you know, it's I, I highly recommend that book because it's is really like the first incident response. Uh, that ever occurred. Um, and then there's uh, other things that you can read about to really acquaint yourself with this, because there's a lot um, that you need to understand as it pertains to this stuff. There's the uh, Michigan Archive is another good one, which is uh, a, a tough read, but uh, a lot of information about how Russian intelligence operated for many years. Um, but in the modern time, you know, I think it really goes back to 1998 or so, when uh, Moonlight Maze was occurring, but that was, uh, you know, really some of the first intrusion information that you hear about as it pertains to a nation state. It's it's really been since about uh, the early 2000s that we've seen uh, Russian intrusion operations, and there's there's quite a lot of research that's been done over the years uh, that talk about the the evolution from Moonlight Maze to uh, some of the things that we started talking about um, when CrowdStrike. Uh, first really began producing intelligence reporting. And we were looking at things like Energetic Bear. And Energetic Bear, which is, you know, I'd say now pretty defunct. Um, they, they were they were exposed very visibly in, in blog posts from pretty much every security vendor out there. Yeah. Um, and that kind of bled into and became Berserk Bear uh, later. But what is um, important there, I, I think the first key thing, is that the Russian intelligence service understood that energy was really critical uh, from an export perspective, and it was part of their diplomatic tooling. And if we think about what happened at the onset of the Ukraine conflict with the Nord Stream 2 pipeline and some of the things that were occurring there, the um, energy has been critical for their foreign policy. And so Energetic Bear and some of their follow-on activity was aimed at understanding how energy works across the globe in terms of how it moves and who's selling it and how if they make a threat to cut off the power to uh, Europe in the wintertime, if they if they threaten to cut the gas, how would Europe react to that? Uh, how the rest of the world kind of inter intertwines right. well, with what that would energy they put exchange. Into place? Yeah. What, what would they do? Like, how yeah. would they react? How would they make it so that they, ha they have an, another viable source of gas, right? So um, that is kind of one of the earlier campaigns that became really well-known was that energetic bear campaign. And my uh, assertion is that that was a political and diplomatic intelligence collection that was really driven towards understanding if they threaten something, what would the repercussions be so that they understand if it's an effective threat? And if they threaten something and they do it, and somebody, you know, let's say they threatened to cut off the, the gas to uh, Western Europe. Sure. Where how would they get the gas How does the target from? mitigate that, right? Right. Yeah. And then like, okay, so they're going to get their gas from the U.S. So how yeah. can they, what does that change? How does that like, you know, think three, four steps across the chessboard? Yeah. How does that change what happens so that they can really effectively weigh what, what that means to make that threat and if they want to make that threat? Yeah. Uh, some That'd of the other things. Yeah. Go ahead. And it's a very big picture perspective, right? On yeah. to understand the ripple effect of your actions. 
and yeah, then preparing of, for that. Right? Uh, that's part of it. A lot of yeah. the things that we saw them doing was targeting of dissonance, right? They, they wanted to understand who was speaking ill of the Kremlin and of Vladimir Putin and, and understanding where those people might be, uh, what, who they're talking to. Oh, wow. And so that's part of that kind of counterintelligence uh, uh, mission and, and methodology of what they were doing. They were also, uh, of course, interested in, in um, diplomatic uh, related things. And that's where Cozy Bear comes in. And many people will recall when Cozy Bear first came out, uh, some of the things that they were doing. And then fast forward to, uh, you know, just a few years ago with the solar winds intrusion, where that was a, a pretty significant supply chain attack that um, impacted some pretty specific targets that would have been useful for intelligence collection purposes. And it's important to note that Cozy Bear is still operating today, and they're able to do incredible intelligence collection. We see them routinely targeting um, Azure and cloud environments that are running uh, uh, Office and, and, and Microsoft Azure and things like that of yeah. uh, nonprofits and, and think tanks. And uh, they have an incredible level of collection there. And then there's the GRU. And so the GRU, you know, known for these kind of disruptive attacks, but also Fancy Bear is another group that's associated with the GRU. And Many folks will remember that that goes back to, uh, you know, something that um, became very uh, well known during the, uh, the 2016 election cycle right. yeah. when Fancy Bear was doing intel collection at the uh, DNCC. And ultimately, that information was then used um, to drive information operations and information warfare against uh, a variety of, of things. And, you know, I think it's... Um, you know, important to note that they're still active too. And yeah. uh, Fancy Bear, for example, we saw targeting um, uh, the um, the Keevstar folks uh, going back to um, twenty eighteen. Was, was it? Um, I think it was. Uh, I'm trying to think when it was. There was uh, maybe it was February or March of twenty twenty two. Oh, I see. That was like during the full-scale invasion, right? That was February of 2022. It was March 22, yeah. yeah. Ma yeah. March 22, they were spoofing Keevstar and other telecom providers to do credential phishing attacks. So, yeah. And it's not uncommon to see Fancy Bear be kind of like the access team and then hand it off to, to, the, to the Voodoo Bear team uh, potentially for a more disruptive, destructive attack. Gun, okay. You know, it's interesting. I know, I know we can probably, again, I think this is an absolute, you know, separate episode but there's Welcome just so to much three-hour episode yeah, of seriously episode universe. <laughs> seriously i mean because there's there's so much we can dig into like um you mentioned that these these groups are still running i know that uh since 2018 we there have been many countries that have uh, either publicly disclosed activities you know or they've indicted or they've charged you know dozens of russian nationals that were uh tied to russian state offensive cyber operations including affiliates uh, tied to the GRU and, and so forth. So I'm very curious about even how some of those public uh, indictments and foreign sanctions have ultimately impacted their uh, Russian intelligence services. And it seems like it hasn't, right? They're just still completely yeah. operating, you know, just uh, unhindered, right? Uh, and beyond yeah. the indictments, like take a look at Bellingcat. Bellingcat had found, you know, and GRU, by the way, was responsible for some of the kinetic actions, right? So it goes back to, yeah, Ser Sergei Skripal. Um, who was poisoned back in 2018. So like the, and there were GRU agents who were caught with like Wi-Fi equipment and stuff like that um, outside of the uh, uh, chemical weapons proliferation, pr proliferation uh, organization. So it, 
you know, they're engaged in espionage and, and active measures, which is uh, something that uh, I don't think I've said, I've said in quite some time, but it's well associated with Russian uh, activity, right? Uh, but black op type stuff, which they call active measures. This is, uh, I think, another example where cyber operations are not their own thing. They are part of espionage. They are part of sabotage and disruptive and destructive attacks. Um, they are part of uh, financial uh, collection, right? being able to generate revenue or uh, tied to state-owned enterprises when you think about China and, and, and North Korea and things like that. So, um, you know, cyber operations are, are part of diplomacy. They're part of uh, politics and they're part of military operations. But I think these, you know, I think Russian intel, they bring it to a whole new level, right? And, and, and I think it's just that it's put onto this world stage or their activity and it's highlighted. And I think the poisoning was, was something interesting where I, yeah. when I saw the poisoning, it was for me a, a big wake up call of like, oh, you know, this is, this is really happening, right? It's not just um, something you read about. Like it's, it, these guys are targeting and they're trying to suppress and they're trying to manipulate. And I think the psychological impact that these attacks have even on other nation states, I'm very curious about the, you know, how other nations and how other even industries should start um, to 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 pay attention, right? And how they're impacted by seeing something like Keepstar happen, or you know, other other industries that could be tied to Keepstar. How are they impacted, or even partners, um, you know, tied to even supply chain? You know, this attack should they start to reassess, you know, their entire security program, assess their partnerships, and and, and understand the ripple effects of those attacks across other industries. I think that's something that we can probably spend another hour talking about. Um, yeah, and, and just to kind of tie off that uh, that Scripple uh, thing, right? So, like, they didn't care when they got mm -hmm. a very outed, right? And, uh, unfortunately, that wasn't a one-off event, right? There's there's Alexander Litvinenko uh, and, and, and numbers of other uh, folks who have uh, died under suspicious circumstances in, in the UK and, and other places who were associated with uh, being contrary to the, to the Kremlin, contrary to Russia, and may have, uh, you know, prior to their, their untimely demise, may have uh, perhaps been subject of cyber intelligence collection to understand who, they, who else they were talking to and who else they needed to put on their lists. Wow. Yeah. That's intense. Um, that's really intense. Um, again, I think it's almost reads like a movie when you start, um, feeling back these layers of, of, you know, again, just kind of unhindered, you know, both cyber activity, this physical activity, the poisoning, the nerve agents that they use. It's very, very interesting. And again, I think we can, we can spend several hours talking about this. This could go for hours. This I could, I could literally hours, like just, you know, cozy up with a warm drink right now and just talk about this stuff with you for hours. Did you purposely use the word cozy? You got me. <laughs> Okay. So what would, what would you, I intend what would you, my puns, <laughs> my, my puns are with intention. Um, what should organizations know about defending against Russian adversaries, given what we've seen over the past, you know, four years, five years? Well, you know, I think the first thing is that broadly the Russians have since 2022 been very, very focused on the Ukraine and, uh, some of the the kind of Baltic states as well, and um, their uh, you know their focus has really not been too heavily against Western targets, and and certainly not against Western industry. So I think that that conflict has really kind of 
utilized a lot of their resources for for supporting the conflict and um you know so we don't see them quite as much in commercial environments and when we do it's typically you know it's been things like the solar winds supply chain attack or it's been things like targeting um microsoft azure cloud you know to get access to email and 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 to uh, documents and things like that for intelligence collection um but it's something i think that needs to be continuously monitored monitored mm-hmm. and if you're doing business in ukraine or in poland or the baltic countries then you know you may find yourself uh being targeted for you know intel collection for a variety of reasons right maybe they think that you're supporting the war effort but in, you know in general i think that um if you go back to 2012 2013 2014 where we were seeing widespread russian targeting of the energy sector with things like energetic bear that has dropped off uh you know in in recent years so you know i think from a uh, defense perspective it's it's you know important as always to assess your enterprise your business your systems where are you located and what are you doing and how does that intersect with a foreign power and you know, it's not just Russia. We've seen the continued proliferation of uh, this type of capability to nation states across the globe. We just added a new one uh, this week uh, in our CrowdStrike intelligence reporting, uh, a new country that hadn't been seen previously. So um, this problem gets worse, not better. But you know, I think as we look to ha- to help our customers and and help our listeners to better defend against these types of attacks, it's important that. They have to be realistic and look at where they're operating, what they're doing. The other thing to consider is that, you know, in the ISP and MSSP and and kind of telecom space that we've seen, you know, continued uptick in nation state activity for broad collection because they understand particularly countries like China have really up-leveled their capabilities and are using these cyber operations to go conduct broad collection against those types of industries because everybody's got a cell phone, right? Yeah. And if you're interested in a particular region, then if you target the the telecom, the, the, the cell provider in that region, you could see when people come into that region, you yeah. can see who they're traveling it's with, a wealth you can see who they're communicating with, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, it, it it is not a simple answer of how do you defend against this and how do you, what should you be thinking about? It's every organization, every geo, every vertical, have factors that will make it important for them to continuously uh, reassess that too, right? Because the world is not static. It's constantly changing. And as the world changes, as, you know, things uh, like in October when 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 the conflict in Israel um, escalated and, and we started to see uh, lots of different uh, activist groups pop up and, and things like that, that changed the landscape. And, you know, kinetic activity can have cyber spillover as well. So there's there's a lot of uh, nuance that goes into answering that question. This podcast is is really meant to help drive people into thinking about what that is and, yeah. and why it's important to not only understand the technology and how to secure the technology, but to understand the intelligence and the motive of who these threat actors are, whether they be criminal, nation state, or hacktivist, in order to defend against those threats. I love that. So it's basically a, almost like a business impact analysis um, and, and assessment given a lot of the geopolitical cyber warfare that's happening. And let's, let's start building out these relationship structures, if you will, 
on, you know, if this could happen, these are, these, these are the potential implications to your business. And, um, you know, a real simple way to kind of get, get a sense of that, go to adversary.crowdstrike.com and you can put in your industry, your business size and the countries that you operate and get a custom threat landscape. You could see out of the 230 threat actors that we track today, which ones target your industry and your business and the countries that you operate in. And then you could start to look at that and say, okay, so um, I'm in an industry and I operate in places that are targeted by China, criminals, and Iran, uh, North Korea, well, whatever, you know, pick, pick your favorite adversaries. And then you can start to say, okay, which of these is a strategic threat to my company? In other words, if I'm going up against China and they're going to try to steal my technology or they're going to try to outcompete me for contracts in, in Eurasia, that's a strategic threat to my business. Yeah. Now, e-crime may be a immediate and opportunistic threat. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but like you have to, and then you have to look at the tactics and the techniques and the procedures of those threat actors to, to look for where the gaps are in your defenses. And as you start to understand those gaps, then you can figure out using that intelligence where to prioritize your investment, where to prioritize the tools that you're going to bring in and then constantly look at this, right? If, if it's every quarter, if it's every six months, if it's every year, and that's the critical thing because, you know, just in the last 18 months, you know, I, I would say that the number one thing that we're seeing is identity. 80% yeah. of the intrusions we saw in, uh, I think it was 2022, yeah, uh, were identity-based, right? So um, do you have identity protection? Have you kind of stepped up your defenses in the identity space? Because things like EDR, like CrowdStrike Falcon, have made it very difficult to bring foreign tools into an enterprise, right? Exactly. That would be like trying to bring a rocket launcher into the airport, yep. probably going to get stopped. Yep. And so, you know, threat actors recognize that. And if you look at our threat hunting report, we, we noted that there was a 312% increase in remote monitoring and management tools. That's not a coincidence. It's not like Cobalt Strike and, and some of these other tools disappeared. It's because the threat actors realize that they can't bring those tools in without getting detected by an EDR. Yeah. And so rather than work harder and, and try to find better ways to evade those EDRs, they just went much easier, right? Social engineering, co compromise credentials, use those credentials to log in legitimately and then use tools that are already present in the environment, right? Any desk yeah. or fleet deck or whatever it might be. And then from there, uh, you know, they're, they're not bringing Mimi cats and things like that. Cause again, very detectable. So they're, they're bringing other, uh, capabilities. Uh, Kerber roasting is a good Kerber one, right? I yeah. think we saw like a 583% yeah. increase in Kerber roasting. And so, you know, this is, this, this isn't, it's not magic. It's, it's yeah. not unexplainable. They're doing it because they're trying to remain undetected so yeah. they can accomplish it's, it's their the goal. Ups. I think, again, we have a lot more we can probably cover on some future uh, Russia-specific episodes, maybe even uh, a two-parter. Um, hopefully in the show notes, we'll not only include the list of the books that you referenced earlier on kind of the history of Russian intelligence and the evolution of their cyber campaigns, uh, but also, um, you know, a link to the uh, CrowdStrike Intelligence uh, page where you can, again, view those adversaries that target your vertical, your industry, and the size of your organization, and just some really great, um, you know, reports and these summaries of these adversaries that we're tracking. So... Adam, this was really good. This is this is a really great start to 2024. Um, I hope that uh, you know you're excited about what else we're going to be working on this year. Oh, I'm I'm pumped, yeah. and uh, yeah. we've got some 
uh, some in-person uh, stuff that people get to see us at too coming up. That's right. In, in March, we've got our uh, oh, our government right. summit coming up. So we'll, uh, that's right. Hopefully see some folks there. That's right. Uh, you will see uh, Adam, you'll see myself and uh, maybe some guests. In fact, this year we have some really great guests lined up for the Adversary Universe podcast. So I'm pretty stoked about uh, a couple new episodes and some yeah. Some great authors, right? Yeah, there's some uh I'm I'm really excited to talk to uh we, we've got somebody that uh is going to talk a lot about the psychology of the adversaries. So I'm pumped I for love that, that one. Yeah, really stoked about that. So again, thanks so much Adam. This is a really great, you know, topic. I think it's very relevant. A lot more to come this year. Uh again, thank you to all of our listeners for uh for tuning in, for listening to this episode and don't forget if you enjoyed the uh the tech puns today, uh feel free to like and share and subscribe. It's uh, it's one click that won't lead to a data breach. So go ahead and click that and smash that subscribe button. We really appreciate your support. This is the Adversary Universe Podcast. This is the Adversary Universe Podcast. This is the Adversary Universe Podcast. Don't let me get Christian AI out. Uh, next one. Next episode. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to our podcast and head over to CrowdStrike.com forward slash adversaries to learn more about the many bad guys we track. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Adversary Universe Podcast. This is the Adversary Universe Podcast.